Psalm 57. Have mercy on me, O God, have mercy on me, for in you my soul takes refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. I cry out to God Most High, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends his love and his faithfulness. I am in the midst of lions. I lie among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul, awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Well, let's pr pray and uh, think about Psalm 57. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day and for this time that we can share together this morning uh, together as your people. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to understand more deeply Psalm 57 and the encouragement that you want us to receive from that this morning. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. When English uh, cricket captain Michael Clarke was interviewed recently, it was just after uh, they'd had defeated the, uh, the English in the Test Series, 5-0. It was a good result for Australia. What's that, sorry? Yeah, yeah, he was the Aussie captain. Did I say English? Oh, that's, that's, a, that's not the... That's not a, I'm not out of the blocks as well as I could be. <laughs> Australian cricket captain Michael Clarke, when he was interviewed after the Aussies beat the English 5-0. The interviewer asked him how he'd been feeling going into that final game. And Michael Clarke responded by speaking about sleep. He said that he never sleeps well before a, a big game and that once again, even the night before the, the last game when they were winning, uh, he'd slept badly the night before, even though they'd, they'd also won that game. And I thought, gee, isn't that interesting? There, from someone pretty cool, you know, he's got tattoos and a you know, groovier haircut than I do. He's a pretty cool guy. He gives a very human response, doesn't he? He actually loses sleep before something that's a bit of a big deal. And I took away from that that even world beaters uh, find that they can get a bit rattled, they can get a bit anxious, they can lose sleep when faced with a possible tough time ahead, even the world beaters. Well, I'm curious, how well do you sleep? Are there times when the, you, you feel as though you're up to your limit with being able to cope? When life's troubles seem to dog you, and especially in the times that you're just about to try and fall asleep. When we face hard times, we can experience something called ruminating, where we go over things and we keep going over things. And, we can, get a, we can get caught up at times in a process that seems it's difficult just to shut it off. 
having one of those songs uh, stuck in your mind that you hear at the start of the day and it stays with you for the day. And that's a problem if you've been listening to the Wiggles and uh, <laughs> hearing about Daniel the Cocker Spaniel dog and things like that. It just sort of keeps going over and over. Well, that's what worries can be like. We can ruminate over them and at times it's hard to shut those things off. But what does God have to say about our worries, our worries about difficult times? What kind of encouragement does God's word give us as we face all manner of threats to our well-being? Well, Psalm 57, in it we see a response from one of God's faithful people to difficult times that he's experiencing when he's beset with all kinds of worries. And we can learn some good things today about his response to God. Psalm 57, as you can see in the title, is attributed to David. And we're given a note to provide the context for this psalm. It's when he had fled from Saul into the cave. Now, if you've read your Old Testament, you'll be familiar with that story. It's found in 1 Samuel 24. The situation is that David and some of his men are on the run from Saul. And it's a frightening situation for him because Saul's mustered together 3,000 chosen soldiers uh, to form a fighting force to headhunt David. And if you think about his situation for a while, to be on the run to preserve your, your life would be an extremely terrifying situation. On the run, David makes it into a cave and Saul, surprisingly, finds himself going into the same cave. As the Americans say, Saul was going there to go to the bathroom. It wasn't quite a bathroom, but uh, we'd say he was going to the toilet. Saul was going to the, the cave to relieve himself, but David was there as well. And so David sneaks up behind him and cuts off the corner of his robe. Later, when they're out of the cave and far enough away from each other, David holds up the piece of the, the corner of his robe so that Saul can see that he's... He's had his life spared and David makes that point. And Saul acknowledges it and is repentant, but David's known enough of Saul that he still manages to keep his distance and stays on the run. That's the kind of thinking, the kind of stress that we can see David under as this psalm's being written, or at least it's attributed to David. So, in, with that kind of beginning, what we see in this psalm in the first place is that David's under a great deal of pressure. But when he is, we see that he is very real with God. That's the first point. He's very real with God. In, in verse 1, he says, Have mercy on me, God. Have mercy on me, for in you my soul takes refuge. David takes a quill or some other writing instrument and he puts down in words what's on his mind. And we can see that he doesn't try to just fight this situation and go it alone. We can see that he's very desperate. And we see that by his repetition of the words, have mercy on me, have mercy. Verse 2 is similar in its force. I cry out to God most high. There's enough of a problem that David experiences that he wants to get very real with God. He wants to take his concerns to God in a genuine way. What about you and I? Are you real with God when you face many 
life stresses, perhaps relationship pain. When things are turning out in life in a way that you hadn't expect they would or in a way that you didn't want them to turn out, do you bottle these problems up and try to hide from God the things that God already knows? Or do you actually take the time to get real with God as well? That's the approach that David takes. He gets real with God and pours out his heart. The second thing we observe from this psalm is that David lives with the threat, all kinds of threats, but he looks to God. In verse 1 he says, I'll take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. Here we see that David's in the process of dealing with the threat. He's waiting for God's help for the disaster to come to an end. Verse 2 he says, I cry out to God most high, who fulfills his purpose for me. That could be understood as God, uh, sorry, as David, living with the threat but waiting for God to bring an end to that disaster. He's waiting for God to fulfill it, to bring that to an end. In verse 4 he says, I'm in the midst of lions, I lie among ravenous beasts. And here the threat's cast in the image of some savage beasts, the lions and the beasts are a metaphor for the, the threat and the trouble that he faces. But there's a sense in the original expression that even though these threats are around him, he can still get to sleep. I lie among them. He can still get to sleep because he trusts in God. He's got a contentment there in God that despite the fact he lives with them, he can still look to God for comfort. And he's confident that even though he's asking God for help and mercy, he almost believes that God's as good as acted in verse 6. They spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. He lives with a threat from his enemies, but he's looking to God for help and he's confident that God will help. Now, clearly God doesn't just wipe out all the troubles that we face in this age. He doesn't just hit the fast forward button on our lives and take us into his glory. We can't have that big list where we'd like to tick off all the things and all the problems we'd like to solve. It's not that simple in life, is it? We also live with all manner of threats, challenges and problems. And like Michael Clark, the Australian cricket captain, thank you for the correction on that, uh, he lost sleep before the big game and we might lose sleep and worry at times too. It's true, isn't it? But I think perhaps this morning the challenge from God's word is to learn something from David. Even though he lives with the threats, he still looks to God to help him and that's the right place to be. In fact, point three in the outline is David is confident in the midst of strife. He's confident in God even though he faces all kinds of strife. In verse 1, his soul takes refuge in the shadow of God's wings, which is a picture of a bird that's got its wings over its little chicks and it's protecting them. And he knows that the disaster won't go on forever. In verse 6, he's confident that his enemies are going to fall into a trap before he himself falls down. He's confident in God, even in the midst of crises. And as Christians, we also have reason to be confident in God. 
It's because of what God's done for us, isn't it? It's because of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. It's good enough to enter into this hard and difficult world to deal with our sins that we might enjoy forgiveness and new life with God. We can be confident in God. We've seen his love in history as we look back. We see him apply that work of Christ to our lives through his spirit. We can also be confident in God even if we face all kinds of strife as well. The Apostle Paul was confident in God, even though he was living in the midst of many difficult threats. He remained confident. This is what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 13 to 18. With the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. So he's confident that on account of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, he's going to be raised up along with the Christians. And he writes to the Corinthians, he says, all this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Paul remained, remained confident in God, even in the, the midst of so many difficulties. Uh, and he fixed his eyes on what's eternal. He knew that these things will pass away and he'll enjoy being with glory with the Lord in glory at the end. Well, as David uh, is confident in God, he also lets his confidence overflow in praise. And he breaks into praise in the middle of the psalm. There's a hymn that we sing, or a chorus uh, that goes with five. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. And the second half of the Uh, Psalm continues this theme of praise to God. In verse 7 he says, My heart is steadfast, O God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake my soul, he stirs himself up. Awake harp and lyre, and I will awaken the dawn. Normally the dawn wakes us up, but he's saying, I'm I'm all excited in God, he's going to wake the dawn up. Verse 9, I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love, Reaching to the heavens, your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Well, there are times, aren't there, when God answers our prayers in the way that we'd like them to be answered. And it seems that when they're answered the way we like them the best, uh, it's, it's more natural, isn't it? It feels more natural to come and praise God and to praise his name during those times. In fact, I can remember... Uh, was probably, how old's Toby Chapman now? Is he about 11? Did he have his 11th birthday? I think it was 11 years ago when we were sitting in the service and his grandmother Lynn's mobile phone went off. There wasn't a raised eyebrow. No one got, no one got bothered by that uh, because there was news that little baby Toby was born right in this 10.30 service. And so the day that we sang 
uh, during that service, it was very natural to rejoice in the Lord. There was an answer to prayer. Things had worked out pretty well for Toby and have done since. And it's times like that when it's easy and it comes naturally to rejoice in the Lord. Well, David lets his confidence overflow in praise to God as well. And as he does so, it's interesting to note something that he desires. In verse 9, we see that he desires that all people know about God's glory. In verse 9, he says, I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love reaching to the heavens, your faithfulness reaches to the skies. David's got a desire that other people also hear about the glory of God as well. It's a good desire. God's promised in the past to Abraham that all peoples would be blessed through Abraham. At Mount Sinai, God said to Israel, for although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And a priest was to serve his nation by being separate and Israel's to serve the world by being separate and living under God's kingship and being a light to the world to do that. And it was God's desire for Israel to be that light to the nations. We see that in Isaiah 49.6. It says, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And when the Queen of Sheba visits Israel, uh, we see something of the high point in Israel's life where she is being a light to the nation, living under God's kingship. And here in Psalm 57, David's also got that concern that all kinds of people know about God's glory. Israel, unfortunately, failed to be the light. But David's still got his concern that God's name's praised before the nations. And ultimately, even people like us, we're not necessarily Jews. I think the minority would be. I mean, the, the majority of us wouldn't be Jews. Uh, we actually are the nations who've become members of God's family. Through the work of Jesus... Uh, we come into God's family. And we have a role. The Apostle Peter tells us about that role in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. It was David's desire for all kinds of people to know about God's glory, and that ought to be one of our desires as well. As we speak about the good news, as we speak about the gospel to all kinds of people, that's a way of declaring God's praise, isn't it? It's a, it's a way of declaring what God's done, that we might enjoy life with him. And so we ought to have a concern that others would also know the Lord as well and praise God too. Well, as we continue to grapple with this psalm, we see a difference uh, concerning the place of prayer and enemies. And I raise the question in point six, how are we to pray to God if we've got enemies? Verse three speaks of God rebuking those who hotly pursue David. In verse six, uh, there are those who dig a pit in his path, but who fall into it themselves. David's got some enemies. But the thing is, we're at a different stage of salvation history to David, aren't we? David lived at a time of the shadow 
of the kingdom of God. The reality of the kingdom of God's come in Christ. And Jesus tells us now that if we've got enemies, well, then we should love our enemies and we should pray for them. Ultimately, we do have an enemy. We can, we can pray against the devil. We can pray against his sway over people who don't yet submit to Jesus as Lord. And Paul reminds us that we are in a battle. It's not against flesh and blood. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There's a spiritual dimension to this world that God has placed us in and it's not all positive. It's against God. People don't always want to submit to God because there's a spiritual struggle. So how are we to pray if we've got enemies? Well, we can pray against the work of Satan and we can pray that God opens blind eyes we can pray for those who remain under his sway that they might come to know life and forgiveness through Jesus. And that's a good thing to pray for. Well, in conclusion, let me ask, how shall we face this age when we need help from God? The God that uh, David worshipped hasn't changed. We worship the same God. And although we don't yet live in God's uh, consummated kingdom, the kingdom that's come at the very end, we're still called to come to God in prayer and to ask for God's help. In Philippians, Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Although we're not there yet, we're still called as God's children to come to him in prayer and to pray about all manner of threats and struggles that we face. We're called to trust God, even in the midst of difficulties. As uh, people who are frail, we do lose sleep at times. We do get stressed out. But God's word reminds us that when we sleep, we can still go to sleep confident that we're part of God's people, that he loves us, that we're under his power, our lives are in his hands. And the challenge for us is to be his faithful people who live with our trust in him. Well, may God help us to do so, uh, help us to continue to bring our struggles before him and trust him in the knowledge that even when we face all manner of difficulties, uh, we can enjoy the peace that transcends all understanding because we've got a contentment in the God who cares for us. Let us pray. Our Lord God, we do thank you that uh, we can be challenged this morning to be real with you, that we can experience different kinds of stresses and strains and struggles, but Lord, that we can uh, bring these things before you and ask for your help. Lord, we thank you that you know about the difficulties of this age and that that is why you've sent Jesus into the world to bring the time when we're away from those struggles. But Lord, we, um, we pray for contentment even as we live in the midst of difficulties. Lord, we pray that uh, we would rejoice in you and that we'd be people who want to declare your praises throughout the world. Lord, we pray for our lives that we would be people who remain faithful 
confident that our lives are in your hands and that you'll care for us and take us to your glory, close to you, both now and forever. Lord, we thank you for this time and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.